New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Carla Malden. She's the author of After Image, a broken-hearted memoir of a charmed life. Carla, in this book, After Image, you talk about your husband's diagnosis and his early death, being a very young widow. And I would love for you to say what it is about the experience that we all have when we're with someone who's dying. It's not just they're dying. We are also very much in that whole process as well. Can you say something about that? Well, that was certainly my experience of it, Justine, that a diagnosis of an illness that severe is a diagnosis for a whole family. It's not just for one person. And I think that's something that the medical establishment would do well to take note of. But I think that it's also something that changes the dynamic of a couple. In my case, it was my husband who was diagnosed. And we had to sort of take turns being each other's cheerleaders. And I have a certain amount of guilt about that, that I made him do that for me when he was the person who should have been putting all his strength and energy into getting well, or trying to, I should say, but that it changes everything. It changes who you are on a cellular level when you hear bad news from a doctor. You say that you were cheerleading for each other and you feel guilt about that, but isn't that so normal that for our love relationship? I'm sure it must be. And, and I rationalize now in hindsight that for our roles vis-a-vis one another to have been anything else at that point would have been an aberration. It would have been such a strange thing because that's not who we had always been for our whole lives. So it was a natural extension of what our relationship was, but even so, guilt is my personal thing, and it comes in many shapes, and that just happens to be one of them. In your quarter of a century together, you had each other's back. So why would that change in the Exactly. Illness? It would have been weird. And I think I like to also rationalize by thinking part of him feeling like he had to take care of me kept him who he was, too. That for me to take that away from him would have been more change than he needed at that point. Exactly. And there is something called survivor's guilt. So have you felt that? Yes, I I think we all feel survivor's guilt. And I think that he was a much kinder, sweeter, gentler person than I. So it really amped up my survivor's guilt that why did it turn out this way? But one of the gifts of time passing after you lose someone is that you get to be the kinder, gentler person that maybe you weren't when you were raising children and slogging through building a career and building a life together and you become impatient and you start to sweat the small stuff and you get to be a different person now at this stage in your life. Do you ever see signs of feeling a connection with Lawrence right now? I certainly did early on. Both my daughter and I saw many signs after he first passed from strange little things about a cricket in our den, which was a long story that I I tell a little bit of in the book. When we were at the point in our 
search for health when we were throwing everything against the wall to see what would stick. One of the people we went to as we were doing, I'd like to underline everything that the Western medical doctors told us to, was we went to a Chinese grandmaster who did various strange things and gave Lawrence exercises to do. And he talked about Chinese New Year's. He kept saying to Lawrence, by Chinese New Year's, your energy will be up, up, up. Lawrence didn't make it to Chinese New Year. However, a few days after he died, my daughter and I were sitting in the den and we heard a cricket, which is something we had never had in 28 years of living in that house. And I don't know how many of your listeners know that a cricket is the symbol of Chinese New Year. So yes, you, part of you looks for signs and it becomes kind of a game to find them, but they are delightful when they come. They are delightful, definitely. And so for you in, in that time, as you say, your book has these wonderful snapshots of your life with Lawrence prior to the diagnosis. So we get to know him a little bit through all of that. And I really thank you for that. Well, thank you for saying that. That's something I really, really wanted to do. The book chronologically is the story of a last year and the first year. It's the story of the last year of my husband's life and the first year of what will be the rest of my life without him and the transition between the two. And I wanted to punctuate that chronology with, yes, what I call snapshots, which are little flashbacks into moments of his life, what I like to say, exemplify a life well-lived, moments of deep human connection that were maybe just throwaway, that no one but a fly on the wall would have noticed. They're not the graduations necessarily. They're not the weddings. They're not the pictures that are in the frames on the mantelpiece. They're little snapshots that you throw in a shoebox and maybe forget to put in the photo album. But that's what really comprises a life. So yes, I punctuated the chronology of the book with these snapshots. One of the things that you share with us is that after the death, you wanted to do a memorial of some sort, and you threw a huge party, and I'd love for you to describe that. It was just magnificent. We did. It was lovely. After much consideration, we decided, we being my daughter and I, that we wanted to do it at home because that's where he most was. And so we threw a party. We had we put his iPod on shuffle, and he provided the music. We had all his favorite foods, no matter how weird and diverse a menu that created. And then my daughter, who is following in her daddy's footsteps and is a lovely filmmaker, made a video to the song My Back Pages, the Bob Dylan song. And it was a lovely afternoon. It was quite perfect. You describe how people were wandering around and you had television screens all over the place so people could see this 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 piece, the the video that she did. So it wasn't like everybody had to gather in one place. People were, of course, crying, and and a good number of people were laughing at various things, which I loved to hear laughter in the house at that point in time. It was a month after he died. I know the sort of catchphrase has become a celebration of life, but it really felt like that. Yes, yes. And... um, You worked with Lawrence as well. So it wasn't just that you were married and you both went off every day to your various jobs. You actually were side by side, shoulder by shoulder, elbow by elbow for decades. For a lifetime. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's an old adage that says that the secret to a happy marriage is to be married for better, for worse, but not for lunch. And I like to say that we were the exception to that. We were together 24 hours a day for months on end, really. He also did graphics work outside of the house, but for big, big stretches, we were together most of the time. And we were sort of one-stop shopping for each other, emotionally and in all other ways, so that 
when I lost him, I really did lose something enormous in that it was every aspect of my life, which of course is not to belittle other people's losses. But that happens to be my personal story is that the jigsaw puzzle didn't just lose a piece or two, it just shattered. So in working that out, let's talk about the grief process and have you gotten over it? Are you finished with the grief? Where I don't are think you? you ever finish with the grief, but it certainly evolves. I would say for me, and I think we all do this, I've come to discover, grief is really exhausting. It is the hardest work I've ever had to do, is grieving. And it's physically exhausting, because for me, it was very much like doing two things at once at all times. My MO for coping was to say yes to every invitation. So I was like shot out of a cannon. I was going all over town doing everything. I never ate a meal alone. I was at the movies. I was busy. But all that time, if I was sitting across the dinner table from a friend, I was really in the process of grieving. Or if I was at the symphony, I was really in the business of grieving. And it was fracturing and schizophrenic to be feeling like you're patting your head and rubbing your stomach all at the same time, all the time. So when I sat down to write After Image, even though it was a sad and horrible place to be, A, it was the place where Lawrence was, so that felt comfortable, and B, I felt like I was integrated, body, mind, and soul, to be telling this story and putting my experience into words. At least it wasn't as schizophrenic and crazy-making as being out in the world. So you can understand why some people would go to bed with their oh, grief. Oh, absolutely. Of course. You know. Of course. It's, it's a daily decision, particularly in the early stages of grief, which I'm talking about years. I'm not talking about weeks or months. I think the first couple years are the early stages of grief, in my experience. And yes, I understand the impulse to curl up in a fetal position in bed, and you make a daily choice not to do that, or on occasion to do it if you really need to. Right. You know, I've heard and we've done a program on the Jewish way of mourning, and in the traditional way, they, number one, cover all the mirrors, and the person who is mourning, they give them a special shawl, and people for a whole year treat them very differently. They don't ask of them certain questions. They just treat them differently. Well, I find the mirror thing very interesting. That I always was interested in that because I think it's symbolic so much of the dissolution of self. So it really becomes an outward physical manifestation of what you're feeling inside, that your self has just evaporated. Right. So where are you now with the grief? It's been like over five years, I believe. five and a half years. I feel like I am leading a really fulfilling and productive life. I've learned that I can work without him, which was something I wasn't sure I could do. That's part of the reason I wrote this book, just for my own self, to see that I could still do that. And I have enormous joy in my life, some of which has just been serendipitous and some of which I have to say I've worked really hard for. So talk about the writing process. This has been a real grounding process for you. I would think that writing is, is a strong prescription for moving. It really, really was for me. Um, for me, personally, putting something into words makes it real. So there was an impulse to put what had happened to me, losing my husband and my trying to carry on, to put that all into words just to make it real, just to wrap my arms around it, just to convince myself 
that this had happened and this was my life now. So there was that side of the coin. The other side of the coin was to make it a narrative, to make it something that existed outside of myself, almost a story, not like a story that had happened to someone else, but just something finite to kind of wrap it in cellophane and say, that's that experience. Maybe it was just something I needed to do psychologically so that it wouldn't bleed into the rest of my life quite so ferociously. I want to say for our listeners' benefit, there's lots of humor in this book. I mean, we're talking about grief and we're talking about the dying process and widowhood and moving on. But there were parts that I would just laugh out loud. I hope so. And that really warms my heart to hear you say that. Thank you. So I wanted our listeners to know that this is something that all of us will face at some time or another, a death of our loved one. And so I encourage you to pick up the book and give it a look-see because it, it really moved me, and I hope it'll move our listeners as well. Thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe, Carla. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. I've been here with Carla Malden, and she is the author of After Image, a broken-hearted memoir of a charmed life. And if you'd like to look her up on the internet, you can go to her website, carlamalden.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.